All right then, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that here again we can come in your name to worship you and to spend time together in your word. And Lord, I pray that today you'll speak to us, open our hearts and our minds to all that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk today about extravagance in generosity. Extravagance in generosity. And um, this has been a little bit inspired by an American preacher called Craig Groeschel. I don't know if anyone's heard of Craig Groeschel. He's at the Life Dot Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Um, and I want to start by reading a little bit from Proverbs chapter 21, where it says, The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him, because his hands refuse to work. All day long he craves for more, but the righteous give without sparing. And some translations say, but the righteous give without holding back. So I just want to think about that today. Now, of course, it's, I think we can still say it's New Year, just about. It's still New Year. And obviously that is a time when many people focus on themselves and they make their New Year resolutions. Maybe it's about um, losing weight. Uh, maybe it's about getting fitter. Hopefully, maybe it's about growing closer to God. But people often, when they're thinking about New Year resolutions, they're thinking about themselves. So I, I think I've probably said already in the past that I don't tend to make New Year resolutions. I've learnt that I'm not very good at that. I think hopefully for me, every day is a new resolution. Uh, look at it that way. So today, really, my message is rather than focusing in on ourselves the whole time, let's think about New Year less me. Let's think about other things apart from ourselves. And about this time of year, interesting studies come out about um, selfishness and how it can proven to be a scientific fact. The scientists can prove that we're selfish. I suppose we don't really need science to prove to us how selfish we are. I think we can probably work that out for ourselves. Um, because selfishness was part of the fallen nature that we all had before we accepted Jesus into our lives. And it's, I think it's something that we have to lay before the altar of God every day, really. It's always there. Um, Jesus set us free from selfishness, so we, we're not bound to selfishness. We're not shackled to selfishness anymore. It's not um, our default position to be selfish because we've been freed from all that. We don't have to be selfish, but there's always that temptation as with sin. There's always that temptation to be selfish, and I think that's something we've just got to be aware of. Um, and I think once, too, we were like that sluggard in that proverb that, that I read at the beginning, craving more and more for ourselves, but yet never satisfied. I don't know if you can remember being in that position. You always want more, but whenever you get anything, you're never satisfied, and you, then you want the next thing and the next thing. And King Solomon, in this proverb, contrasts that with the righteous who give 
they give and they give without holding back. It's that extravagant generosity, giving, not expecting something in return, but just giving and not holding back. So when we allowed Jesus to come into our lives, he enabled us to move from selfishness to selflessness um, and from meanness to generosity. But whether we take advantage of that freedom that he gave to us is, as always, our personal choice. We have the freedom to accept what he's given us or simply to revert back to how we always were. That's up to us. But I want you to know what those scientists actually said. So let's look at some of their studies, shall we? So according to Dr. Becky Spellman, who's the chief psychologist at the private therapy clinic in Harley Street, no less, as reported in the Daily Telegraph, it's all about where you sit on an aeroplane. So just have a little think. If you... You know those Ryanair or the EasyJet ones where you can just sit where you like, there's sort of a mad scramble to get to the seat. Where do you head for? Do you head for the window seat? Do you head for the aisle? Or do you selflessly sit yourself down in the middle between the person in the window seat and the aisle? I wonder how many window seat people we have among us this morning. Because according to... Dr. Spellman, passengers who favour the window seat like to be in control, tend to take on an every-man-for-themselves attitude towards life and are often more easily irritable. They also like to nest and to prefer to exist in their own bubble. So there we are. So... As someone who always makes a beeline for the window seat, I found that very interesting. Um, so now we know. But, um, but worse than that, not only do I want to be in the window seat, I want to be in the front row of seats in the plane as well. <laughs> so I don't know what that says about me, but that's where I head for. Now, another study from Brunel University, the London School of Economics, and Harvard University, no less, they all combined on this study, reported that men who work out have a smaller heart and are more selfish than those who don't. So there you go. I don't know if we have any workers-outers among us today. So at least I can offset my aeroplane window seat selfishness. <laughs> against my total <laughs> lack of interest in working out. And a study published in Nature Human Behaviour, which is a very learned manual about nature, found that male neural reward systems are more stimulated by self-centeredness, while women are more likely to get a dopamine rush when helping others. And the study traced this back to prehistoric times when the man had to live by his wits to succeed um, and avoid all the saber-toothed tigers and the mammoths to bring back food to the cave, whereas it was in the woman's best interests to do all she could to support him. So men are more focused on surviving and women on helping others to survive. 
So that's what they said. And incidentally, I happened to read a summary of this research in The Guardian, of all places, which interpreted the nature findings as follows. This doesn't necessarily mean men's brains are wired more selfishly than women's brains. It's likely more nurture than nature. From an early age, women tend to be told that they are born to run around looking after others, while men are encouraged to do whatever it takes to run the world. So that was the Guardian's interpretation of that learned study. So I hope that's cleared everything up for you. <laughs> but um, in the interest of balance, I did feel, because I think the men have come out rather badly so far, I, I did want to repeat um, another study that revealed that given the choice, women will tend to go for the larger of two pieces of chocolate. <laughs> Whereas men will just eat them both. <laughs> so I think we can agree that the world is greedy and selfish, and it always has been greedy and selfish, and lacking Christ, we will remain greedy and selfish, but that really isn't the way to follow Christ. Quite the opposite. We are called to be generous and selfless. And when you serve more, you take less. When you give more, you need less. When you thank more, you want less. And when there's more of God, you're selfless. I'll just say that again. When you serve more, you take less. When you give more, you need less. When you thank more, you want less. And when there's more of God, you're selfless. So in homing in on giving more, when we give, we want to give as God gives. We want to give, just as in that proverb, without holding back. And I want really today to show you three different mindsets about generosity and giving. And the first one is called the holy purse mindset. The holy purse mindset. And this is inspired by an extract from the first book of Haggai. Starting to read at verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That's where we've got our holy purse. It's holy with an E, by the way. Holy purse. Um, so the person with this holy purse mindset believes that there's never enough. There's never enough. So you could almost call it a poverty mindset. Um, now the world is quick to criticise preachers who have what's known as a prosperity mindset. But actually, in some ways, this poverty mindset can be just as dangerous, this holy purse mindset. Because if we believe that we never have enough to contribute to the kingdom of God... We never have enough to pay a tithe, which is a tenth of our income, or even to make an offering, which is anything. 
we're, we're a bit like that wicked and lazy servant in the parable of the talents. Do you remember that one? Who, when given one talent, went and buried it and did nothing with it instead of trying to use it to contribute to the master's economy, as it was in that parable. And that servant was heavily criticised for not doing anything with what they had been given. Um, Because they had this sort of holy purse mindset, they thought, well, I haven't got much, I can't do anything with it, I'll just bury it and do nothing with it. And that wasn't pleasing. Judas had a holy purse mindset. In fact, he was the person who was in charge of the purse. He had the purse, but his mindset was full of holes. And if you remember that parable about the woman who came to Jesus and broke the expensive bottle of perfume um, and and bathed him in that perfume, and it it was Judas who objected and said, oh, but we could have sold that perfume and given all the money to the poor. And he was critical of the woman, but Jesus stood up for her and defended her. He had that mindset, that sort of quite mean-spirited mindset of not being generous and criticising people who were generous. And of course, Judas, we know, was stealing from the purse while pontificating about all this. And then, of course, finally, he sold Jesus to his enemies for 30 pieces of silver. So, in a way, he was the ultimate example of somebody with a poverty mindset and a holy purse mindset. Now, I think this is, spiritually, this is a challenge to all of us because it does, it it kind of puts our faith on the line, doesn't it? Um, Whenever we're thinking about our finances, it's always going to be a challenge to us. And it's interesting that the only place in the Bible where God actually says, test me in this, is around giving. That's the only place where he says, test me, because I will show you that actually I'm an extravagantly generous God and I don't hold back. And when you honour me with what you have, then I will, I will recognise that and I will reward that. Um, so let's just look in Malachi, in chapter 3, verse 10, where it says this. God is saying, bring the whole tithe, that's the tithe again, the tenth of one's income, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, that's God's house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, if we take the word of God seriously, and we actually believe what God says in the Bible, then we need to take note of what he's saying there. He's saying to us, can you stick it back up again for me? Test me in this. Put me to the test specifically about this whole idea of tithing, of giving back one-tenth of what he gives to us. And then he says, see if by doing that it will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing 
And that's not just financial blessing, that's blessing in every possible way. That's favour, that there will not be room enough to store it. That's incredible, I think. I mean, if you take, if you take that literally, if you take him at his word and you try it, because he says, test me, give away 10% of what you earn, um, gross, <laughs> not net, full gross amount, uh, and see what happens. See what happens. And he says, you'll be better off. You'll be better off spiritually, you'll be better off in every way, and you'll certainly be better off financially if you, if you test me in that. Somebody who has a poverty mindset, who has a holy purse mindset, is always thinking, oh, I don't have enough, oh, I don't have enough. If I did that, I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. Oh, I don't have enough. And they never get onto that first step of generosity and they never know that blessing that God promises if they would only take that first step of faith. Now I want to move on to the second mindset and I'm calling this the playing it safe mindset. So it's not a poverty holy purse mindset, it's a play it safe mindset. And these are people, they don't have this holy purse mindset, they accept that they must be obedient to God, so they play it safe and they give him the bare minimum that he asks for. So, yes, they pay the tithe, because that is the bare minimum he's asking for. They, they give him 10% of their income. And yes, they will be generous on top of that on occasion when it doesn't put them at any risk. So if for some reason they've come into some money, they may give a bit more of it away than they would normally do because they know they've got it there, so that's fine. They're safe. They're not really putting themselves at risk. But they play it safe. Well, God has good news for these people because they are operating within his will and they're being obedient to him. And it's a bit like that good and faithful servant in the parable of the talents who was given two talents. And even though they had two talents, they did do something with those two talents. They played it fairly safe, but they ended up with two more talents. And they were applauded and praised for producing another two talents, even though they played it safe, and God applauded them, and they were good and faithful servants. But they were missing out on so much more, but even so, they, they produced the goods. And Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I think this is quite interesting because it shows that even for people who play it safe, God is abundantly generous back to them. God doesn't play it safe for those people. He, he, he pours out blessing upon them. Anyone who manages to free themselves from the shackles of a holy purse mindset and actually starts to obey God and starts to give to him on a regular and purposeful basis receives that blessing that he promises, which is actually a lot more generous than they were 
to him. Um, but of course that's the way with God. God is more generous than we are to him. Do you remember the parable of the workers in the vineyard? How at the end of the day the master paid the same full day's wages to the people who come in at the end and only work for one hour as he did to those who'd been working all day. His generosity to those who came in at the end. And then when somebody complained, he said, but we've been working all day and yet you're giving that person who only worked for an hour the same amount of money that you're giving to me. That's not fair. The master said, and this is in Matthew 20, 15, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? It's in God's nature to be generous. So even to those people who kind of, yeah, they give him what he asks for, but you know, only that, they play it safe, he's still really generous to them. He still pours out blessing upon them. And when we think of a good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, to me that sounds rather special. That sounds like an abundance it, it, it sounds like a torrent. It doesn't sound like a sort of dripping tap. God is abundant in his blessing to those who are obedient to him, even if they only give him the bare minimum that he asks for. That is his nature. So that's the second mindset, the kind of play it safe mindset. So just imagine this, the third mindset that I'm going to describe, which is an extravagantly generous mindset where, in fact, we are trying to out-bless God in our giving, which obviously you can't do, but we're, we're sort of competing with him in how much we can bless. And um, let's see what the Bible has to say about that mindset. I just want to read you a little bit from... Proverbs chapter 3. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So I think what's interesting here, first of all, is that we've got the Hebrew word for wealth. That in itself speaks of Great generosity, so those who are really generous to God. And the emphasis there on the first fruits of all the crops. Can you stick that back up again? That bit. If it says there, you see it says the first fruits of all your crops. So in every way, somebody who is extravagantly generous to God in every way they can think of, they're putting God first, the first fruits. They're putting God first in every way. Not only in their finances, but in their prayer life and in everything else. They're putting God first. That's an extravagantly generous person. And look what it says. It talks about barns. I think that plural is quite interesting. Because... Not only are these people serious in giving to God, they have much to draw on already. They've got barns. They've got to a place where they've got barns. Now, somebody with a poverty mindset is not going to have barns. They, they probably won't even have one barn. So I think it's quite interesting there that the plural is put. 
he will fill your barns to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. I just want to contrast this proverb with the parable of the rich fool. I don't know if you remember that one. That comes up in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And just compare the two scenarios here. This is Jesus speaking. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I think that's a really interesting contrast. I don't think Jesus could have spoken that parable more clearly. Here was somebody already rich, we're told, had barns, who had been, by grace, blessed undeservedly, because clearly they were not an extravagant giver, they weren't even a play-it-safe giver. They hadn't been obedient to God. Um, but still, despite this abundance that God had blessed him with, this rich fool did not give thanks to God or even play it safe and give 10% of this abundance to God. He had it within his gift to show extravagant generosity, not only to God, but to his neighbours and to the poor. When he said to himself, what shall I do with all this extra grain I've got? It never occurred to him, oh, I could bless somebody with it. I could bless God with it, I could bless my neighbours with it, I could bless the poor with it. It doesn't even occur to him. It just shows how far away he is from God's generous mindset. And instead, all he thinks is, oh, I know, I'll pull my bonds down and build bigger ones and stick it all in there, and then I'm set up for the rest of my life. It's that selfish mentality that takes no account of what God is saying to us. And of course, he pays the price, because God says to him, this very night you will forfeit your life and where will all your wealth be then? Who will, who will that go to? You're not going to benefit from any of it because you're such a mean-spirited so-and-so. So I think that's a really interesting parable. And for those of us who are tempted to have savings and savings and savings for a rainy day just in case, I think that's an interesting parable because that money that's just sitting in the bank doing nothing it could be blessing God, it could be blessing others, it could be blessing the poor. Sitting in a bank account, it's not blessing anybody, it's just sitting there gathering dust. So, reliable sources indicate that the average billionaire, if there is such a thing as an average billionaire, gives away £700 per year to charity. 
the average billionaire. Just think about that for a moment. And, and, and you've got to take out people like Bill Gates, who's got his foundation, all the rest of it. So take out all those billionaires who do actually give a lot away. The average is still only £700 a year. Uh, but sh surveys always show that the poor are much more generous in their charitable giving than the rich. Um, as, as the Bible recalls in the, um, the incident of the, the poor widow and her mite at the temple. So I think that's a really interesting statistic and um, you just hope in a way that those people have the opportunity to read the parable of the, of the rich man and Lazarus or of the rich fool before, they, before God closes accounts with them in a way. So a person operating in this, this extravagantly generous mindset, really they've moved into a spiritual dimension that is governed by God's laws and by faith because you cannot operate in a, an extravagantly generous mindset unless you are close to God in, and knowing what he wants uh, and having the faith to believe that you can deliver. You need faith to be able to operate in that mindset. These are people who give to God way beyond what the law requires of them. In fact, the tithe is the absolute minimum starting point from their point of view. It's not, it's not the sort of glass ceiling that they're aiming to get to. That's where they begin, the tithe, and then they move on from there. Um, I don't know why it is, but for some reason, whenever I come across these extravagant givers, they always seem to be giving cars away. I don't know, I don't know why, they, I don't know if anyone's received a car here, you know, from an extravagant giver. But they always seem to be giving their cars away, but yet they always seem to have wheels to spare. But um, I don't know why it is, but they always go on about giving cars away, these people. Um, they're outrageous in their giving. They're totally outrageous in their giving. And that leaves people with a, um, a, a holy purse mindset appalled, absolutely appalled, at the profligacy of these people in their giving. It leaves people with a play-it-safe mindset baffled, how on earth can they get away with that? <laughs> Just baffled. And yet it leaves God very happy indeed. And it's a bit like that person in the parable of the talents who had the five talents. And it says in that parable, at once, which I think is quite significant, at once he went out and made that money work. And by the time the master returned, he had five more talents and was praised as a good and faithful servant. But not only that, he got the one talent from the wicked and lazy servant because God knew that he could trust this person. He said to him, you have, been, you have shown that you can, you can do well in a few things, you will have responsibility over many things. And he, uh, he gave him that person's one talent because he knew that he would make that work for the kingdom of God. Totally different mindset when somebody has an extravagant, generous mindset. So I just want us now to pause and consider 
It's not, this isn't a hard question, you'll be pleased to know. But I just want us to pause and consider which of those three mindsets that I've described is closest to God's own mindset. Let's just have a little think about that. Which of those three that I've just described? Is it the holy purse mindset, the, the poverty mindset? Poor God, he just doesn't have enough. Um, he doesn't have enough at all in the kingdom of heaven. Just think what he could do if he just had a little bit more. Is that the mindset that God has got? No, I don't think so. Or is, is, is the mindset that God's got like the play it safe mindset? Just doing the bare minimum to get by, um, but not taking any risks, not doing anything extraordinary, just sort of bubbling along slowly, not getting into any trouble. I don't think that's God's ways either. He's not a boring God who plays it safe the whole time. So what does that leave us with? It leaves us with a mindset of extravagant generosity. And when you think about it, isn't that exactly how God has behaved towards us? Has he not extended towards us, even though we don't deserve it, a mindset of extravagant generosity? So much so that he gave his one and only son for us so that we could have a loving relationship with him. That's the extent of his extravagant generosity. Not thinking of himself, but only wanting the best for others. So I wonder why, in that case, we are so reluctant to adopt a mindset that reflects God's mindset towards us. Why are we so reluctant to adopt an extravagantly generous mindset in the way that we operate in our lives? Why is it that we are satisfied either with a play-it-safe mindset, where we're just doing the minimum to get by what we know God expects from us, but nothing more. Or worse than that, why is it that we're satisfied with a holy purse mindset, a poverty mindset, where we're always thinking, oh, well, I don't have enough. Oh, if I only had a bit more. Oh, I don't have enough. Oh, what if this happened? What if that happened? Why is it that we cannot adopt an extravagantly generous mindset? I'll tell you why. The reason why is fear and the lies of the devil. That is the reason why. That is why we are not giving our cars away. It is because the devil says to us, oh, if you did that, oh dear, oh dear, if you did that, oh, you'd end up on the streets. Oh, how could you possibly do that? Look, you can't even afford to pay your electricity bill. How could you be generous to God? It's that lie, which is totally opposed to God's word that I've shared with you this morning, that prevents people from living a life of blessing, a life where they're blessing others and a life where they themselves are being blessed. They're being robbed of all that God has for them simply by fear 
and believing the lies of the devil. God says, test me in this. If people actually took him at his word and, and, uh, and tested him, they would be amazed at what would happen and how their lives would be transformed. And as I say, not only in finances, but in fact in every other way as well. The way that God can just open doors, the way that he can pour favour out is phenomenal. But if nobody has actually tested him in that, nobody's taken that first step of faith to move beyond a holy purse, oh, we don't have enough, oh dear, woe is us, mentality, then they're never going to know that blessing. And that is so sad. So I think if, if we're going to have a sort of reflection at New Year, that's a good one. That's a good one to reflect on. But what I don't want you to go away with is thinking, oh, right, so we have to give to get. It's not about getting. It's, it's giving to bless. Giving to bless God. Giving to bless others. But if we do that and we give to bless, then our, our barns will be overflowing with every spiritual blessing, including material blessings, because God wants to be generous to us. And our, our wine vats will be full and flowing over, spilling over with goodness and flavour. We'll become much more interesting people, <laughs> to be honest, if we start being a bit more generous. And I think that's much better than a, than a holy purse kind of mindset or even than a play it safe kind of mindset where we do next to nothing or playing it safe, where we, we, do, we do just enough but nothing more. That, that's, not, that's not how God expects us to live our lives as, as followers of Christ. He expects us to be extravagant in our generosity. He expects us to be outrageous in the way that we bless others. And if only we can get a kind of um, spiritual understanding of that truth, it will revolutionise our lives and revolutionise the lives of those we come into contact with as well. So let's just close our eyes and, and reflect on this for a minute. Lord, I thank you that you are so extravagantly generous towards us far beyond what we deserve. Lord, I thank you for that generosity that you extended to us when you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be set free from sin and death and selfishness when he went on that cross and then rose again. You've enabled us to accept his living truth into our lives. You've enabled us to, to grow in our relationship with you. You've been extravagant to us and we can all look back over our Christian lives and see examples where you've shown us favour, where you've blessed us, even though we don't deserve it. Lord, help us to adopt a mentality which is similar to yours, which we have the facility to do because we have the mind of Christ and the mind of Christ is one of extravagant generosity. Help us, Lord, to, to, to be released into that 
rather than to shut ourselves off believing the lies of the devil and fearing whenever we, we, we feel inclined to take some step of generosity. Lord, I pray that we would not hold back. We would not be like that sluggard in the proverb that we started with who is constantly craving for more and never satisfied, but rather we would be like the righteous who we are. We should be like the righteous and giving and never holding back. Lord, I pray that, that you would hardwire that, that mentality into us in such a way that we can actually access it, um, not think about it, but do it. And I pray, Lord, in this coming new year, if we do nothing else, we will become more generous in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.